Welcome to Escape the Earth. We are a sci-fi and fantasy podcast broadcasting from an undisclosed location within the San Antonio Public Library. I am your host, Tim, and today I have with me Mary Elizabeth, Rebecca, and Marcel. Hey, everyone. Today we're discussing the um, Project Hail Mary, the new book from Andy Weir. And uh, just so that everybody knows, there will be spoilers in this. We go into this assuming that you've read the book. We want to encourage you to read the book because I, I think all of us unanimously agree that we hated this book. And we're going to just uh, tear it apart here. And so if you want to understand why we're all ganging up on this book, then you'll, you'll have to read it before you go into the discussion. Also... Because we're ganging up on this book, it's probably going to lead to some discussion that is not for little kids. Before we get into the book, uh, Mary Elizabeth's going to give us some background on Andy Weir, the author. Sure, just a, just a tiny little bit of information about the author. He was born in 1972. He's an American novelist and former computer programmer, which is appropriate for this genre that he's writing in. His 2011 novel, The Martian, was adapted into the 2015 film, The Martian, by Ridley Scott. Uh, And he received the John W. Campbell Award for Best New Writer in 2016. This is off of Wikipedia. Perfect. I think his dad was a physicist and his mom was an electrical engineer or something like that. And uh, so he, he was born to two very science-minded individuals, yes. which, which has to contribute to some of the writing here. Absolutely. Um, <laughs> I believe Marcel is going to do the synopsis for us off the, uh, off the Goodreads page there. Yeah, so what Project Hail Mary is more or less about, Ryland Grace is the sole survivor on a desperate last chance mission, and if he fails, humanity and the Earth itself is going to perish. He doesn't know that. He can't remember his own name, and he doesn't know what his assignment is. He's been asleep for a really long time, and he's just been awakened to find himself millions of miles from home uh, with nothing but two corpses for company, little dower. Um, His crewmate's dead, his memory fuzzy. He finally realizes what he has to do, and he's pretty much got an impossible task. So it's up to him to go ahead and find a way to save the Earth after escaping it. And uh, he comes across an unexpected ally and kind of puts the pieces together. And, well, I guess you'll have to read the book to find out how that goes. Yes. Well, I mean, I suspect we'll talk about it here. Um, to, That's true. That'd yeah, be true. We're, we're, we're going to spoil everything. We're going to spoil everything. That's, he that's does true. save it. Spoiler. So the good guy wins. <laughs> <laughs> kind of, kind of. I mean, as far as we know. Um, so Rebecca, what, what drew you into the book? What uh, hooked you early on? Well, to piggyback on what Marcel said, the way he wakes up, he doesn't know where he is and what's going on. He starts off very, his speech is slurred. He doesn't, he's completely disoriented. And I like how you're, you're, thrown into the dark and it's up to it's up to the reader to just figure out okay where is this going to take me and you already know you want to know what is happening to this guy 
and he's talking about robot arms and you're like, okay, what, what do you mean? Robot arms, where is he? And it just launches into this, you know, incoherent kind of babbling story. But again, you, you want to find out where is he? What, what happened to this guy? And, and for me, that's what got me immediately was this disoriented beginning. And I, I just needed to know that's what got me. Absolutely. I feel the same way that, that mystery of. Yes, exactly. Mary how does he not know who he is, but how does he know complex math? What? Yes, like it just kind of hits like, did he have a brain injury? Um, was there some kind yeah. of accident or. Like trying to figure it out with yeah. him, but it's like really, oh my gosh, what's going on here? <laughs> yes, exactly. When I was first told about the podcast, I just picked up the book and started reading. I didn't know what it was about literally at all. So I think that was definitely a benefit. I knew that Andy Weir wrote The Martian and I knew about that movie, but I hadn't read or seen the movie of The Martian. So I just went in completely, totally blind. And it was a little like him discombobulating at first. I was like, I don't really know what's going on here, but I think the imagery that it sets up is definitely, there's a fascination and there's an intrigue there. So it's really, it's really well done. On the note of that intrigue, there's a line when you first start reading, disclaimer here, uh, one of you humans, wake up, please. That got me, especially because the emphasis went on, was on humans and it already makes you think, okay, there are more than humans in this story. So what other creatures are possibly here? And it leaves the mind open to all kinds of things. Are we talking space aliens? Are we talking, you know, some kind of other, who knows, sea creatures? We, we don't know, like Marcel. Right, we don't know. I, don't know. I, I was just like, yeah, he's so got to be in a hospital or, yeah, <laughs> yeah, what's happening? <laughs> Yeah, and the way he starts um, trying to break down reason out from right from the beginning who he is, like he looks at his skin, he realizes ah, I'm, I'm 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 thinking in certain units of measurement. I'm probably American, and and how annoyed he is with how he switches with the scientific mind, and then going back to to inches <laughs> with certain things. Yes. Uh, that, exactly. that was really clever. Yeah, he was very frustrated with his inability to swear. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, that yeah. Too. Right. Holy gosh, I that was <laughs> I thought that was very strange to read and there was like no cursing and I was like I feel like things are dire enough to warrant that. I'd looked at reviews on Goodreads and I thought it was very interesting. People were people had actually noted that because apparently in the Martian um, there is a whole bunch of cursing, like uh, like sailor levels of cursing. And I guess that's maybe why he, he leaned into this character who can't or, or just won't he does it. It's not, curse. It's not his nature. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it'd be interesting to ask the author, why did you choose that? <laughs> yeah. He did have one. Yeah, yeah, it was that one. That one, uh, one scene where he excuses himself when he says uh, something like, yeah, I think this particular time warrants this one or this one time to curse. And 
but definitely what Marcel said is, is the whole situation, you could be cursing up a storm because look where he's at, what's happening to him. It's a disaster. It, yeah, it's in, uh, it's in chapter six when he says, holy F-bomb excrement. And, uh, <laughs> and, and that's when um, shortly after he's figured out that he is on a rocket ship, he is in another galaxy looking at a different sun or a different star. And not only that, he realizes there's another ship just outside his ship's door. And uh, right, and it's the realization that uh, not only is he the first human to travel outside of our solar system and visit another one, he's also the first contact with an alien life form, an alien life form smart enough to build ship. See, going in yeah, line, it's a totally appropriate time to be in amazement. Having not read the synopsis, I thought that this book leaning into the astrophage. So I thought the astrophage was just a brilliant idea. I thought leaning into that was what they were going to do. I was not expecting any sort of sentient, intelligent alien life to show up at all. So when it happened, I was like, what is going on? This is way more sci-fi than I first gave it credit for. I was expecting more of a sense of realism which we do get but nothing like oh hey aliens like hollywood kind of aliens not like single-celled organism realistic boring aliens that you know kind of thing if that makes any sense right we got both <laughs> yes thank you mary elizabeth i was just thinking that too yeah we got both yeah. and that part where you know you realize where he hears when the ships do actually come together and the alien ship docks onto his and somehow manages to get into his, I don't know, what was it called? The, the lock, oh, gosh. Anyway, he hears a tapping. And that right there, I literally sucked in my breath because I thought, wow, what is he about to encounter? And automatically I'm thinking of all these different types of, you know, childhood fantasies of, of running into a so-called extraterrestrial and I can imagine that the character in the book Ryland is probably also going through this sort of what is he about to see right and that yeah. just yeah. our expectations yeah yeah our, our expectations of aliens are always the the bad aliens that are going to like Independence Day they're going to come down and destroy us and yeah um subverting that <laughs> he's he's not like that at all he's also equally like what's happening <laughs> trying to figure yeah. out my own world's yeah. problems too <laughs> Ryland grace names the alien rocky and it, he discovers that rocky has been there for quite some time by himself as well mm-hmm. the equivalent of 49 earth years i think yeah the reason that Rocky is there is the same reason that Ryland is there, although it takes Ryland right. some time to figure out what's happening. His, um, the story is told in a series of flashbacks and time in the present. Mm-hmm. And I've seen this done before in, in The Lies of Locke Lamora. This is one that I think of that always ha- that was told in a series of flashbacks and uh, going back and forth between the past and the present where 
everything that happened in the flashback had relevance to the way the story turned out. Um, but I think Andy Weir wielded that much more effectively than Scott Lynch did. Scott Lynch was still very good, but Andy Weir did this. I mean, because Rocky's appearance is not even the biggest surprise in the book to me. The biggest surprise to me was why he didn't have any memory of anything. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> when you finally get his his reason or rather how he wound up on that ship, um, it's a little disappointing, I thought. I found it slightly disappointing when he actually recovers his full memory, why he's there, how he got there, and and you're kind of, at least for me, I was somewhat disappointed in him, but at the same time, it also really stuck to his, the description of his character throughout the whole, throughout the whole book of being a, what was it that, um, what did the characters call him? A, you know, he can't commit. So I guess in some ways it wasn't that surprising, but it kind of was because you want him to be that hero. You really want him to be that, that, that brave I'm going to jump in front of a canon hero and realize that this character, Ryan Grace, he's not your typical hero. He's not at all. And you're rooting for him anyway. Yeah. It's interesting how you're subverted throughout the whole story. Like you think the big bad alien is going to be a big bad alien, but instead they're amoeba-like aliens that are just trying, they're just doing their evolutionary thing. (laughs) And then you finally find the big bad alien and he's not a big bad alien. He's just, I'm just trying to figure out how to stop those little amoebas. And then also at the end with uh, finding out how he finally gets, how how he got onto that ship and he's not, he's not quite the hero you had wanting to. There's a lot of subversion, a lot of (laughs) pulling the rugs out from under you with these, with this story. So it, it was very compelling to keep trying to follow along with everything that was happening. I mean, you're throwing curveballs like every few chapters, just when you think you've figured it out, there's something else that gets thrown into the mix. You're like, wait a minute, what? Like, okay, here we go. A little spoiler here where he, he's on his way back and he realizes, wait, there's a, there's a big mistake in our, in what Rocky and I planned on how to save our planets. And now I've got to turn around and help out my friend Rocky. And you're not expecting that. You're not, at least I was not expecting that. And when I started to read into that chapter and I realized, okay, he might not get back to where he wanted to go. Go ahead, Marcel. Yeah, what I really liked about that is that just everything in this book is, I guess, explained very airtight. And like you said, like you weren't expecting that. And I wasn't either, but... Once he says it, once he explains what's going on and the error they committed, I was like, oh, that's just, that's, I hadn't even considered that that is a thing that could happen or that would happen, but it is sort of this dance with nature that the book is kind of revolving around, you know, the astrophage aren't evil. There's no bad guys. They're just doing their thing. Rocky's just trying to do his own thing. The the Talmiba were just doing their thing. And it's all just everyone kind of trying to survive. And I think that's kind of poetic given 
um, given Ryland's reaction to going on the ship, given how everything is turning out, I think it's all just a matter of survival. Um, I had a, a person the other day tell me survival is imminent. So I think that's a pretty apt way of describing the themes of this book. Yeah, when you're thrown into it and you have no choice, I mean, what what can you do? You you can adapt or and survive, or you cannot. And uh, I think most of us have the inclination to at least try to survive. One of the things I really like about Andy Weir, and I just joked at the beginning saying that we were all going to hate this book, <laughs> but I think everybody liked it. And uh, something that makes it really accessible, he throws a lot of science at you and it kind of makes your eyes glaze over if you, <laughs> if you, if you don't speak that language. But he yeah. has a, a very wry sense of humor too. Just in the mm-hmm. process, like when his amnesia is still full force and he's, he's bothered by the fact that he doesn't seem inclined to swear. And then he's like, and I seem to really like kids. Oh my God, I don't like where this is going. And, <laughs> and then he, he remembers that he was a teacher. And he's like, oh, thank God. I was, I was a teacher. That's why I like kids and I don't swear. You know, that. Yeah, that was a little concerning as well. Right. And because uh, he, he builds that up. And then the other one that, that really made me, really made me laugh was when he, they're in the flashback and he's talking to Dubois and uh and Dr. Shapiro and Dubois is like I have begun a sexual relationship with Dr. Shapiro and (laughs) and, uh he's like okay great can we get on to talking about you know the the Kepler effect or whatever and and then Dr. Shapiro walks in Dr. Shapiro I've just told Mr. Grace about our sexual relationship that's great Okay, great guys. Can yeah, we get back to this? And I'm like, I don't think that's how people talk to each other sometimes. <laughs> and he's like, wait, do you call her Dr. Shapiro when you're having sex? Yes, that's her name. I find it very pleasurable, says Dr. Dubois. Oh, really? Do people actually talk like that? Maybe in this book they do because of all the explanation, like, you know, the map. Oh, the map. All the map. All the map. It, you know, like, like Tim said, it's going to make your eyes glaze over at some point. It feels like, do I have to know this? I mean, do yeah. I have to that out in space? But is it kind of like just in case? You know, you're kind of wondering, is it just in case, right? You never know. <laughs> I, think, I think all of the characters were very appropriate. I thought they were all really weird. But I think when you have to save the world and given them trying to create a rocket ship to go to another solar system and like get the entire planet on board, I think that has to be run by a bunch of weirdos. That's what I would expect. If you know a lot of people in academia, they get a little weird once you get more uh, more in there. In my experience, they're all very cool, but they're all kind of kind of strange in their own ways. So I think it's very appropriate. Did anyone else find it odd that no one knows what Ryland looks like? He describes Rocky quite well in the book, you know, what Rocky looks like, but nobody knows what Ryland looks like. I, I, I noticed that. Rocky, 
I thought when he was trying to figure himself out, he did kind of, I think, describe his his physical aspects a little bit. Just his physical body, but I've never, like, I don't really recall. It might be a device to, so you can put yourself in his shoes as much as possible. Yeah, maybe. Okay, that's a good theory. I like that. Yeah, I like your theory. Okay. That might explain it. I hadn't realized it makes everything more approachable for more people because the the main character doesn't have to look a particular way mm-hmm. anybody could fill those shoes if they had the appropriate knowledge and everything right um, which kind of also leads into one of my issues the one issue of the book i have is that it is kind of a a white savior story <laughs> and like anybody could have been in this storyline but it's, it's not anybody. It's, it's, it's a white man. <laughs> and I know in, this, in, the, in the world of academia science specifically, it is run by predominantly men. Um, it was just, just a shame. <laughs> it's just a shame that it couldn't have just... Because he has written a uh, book, Artemis, which has a female uh, protagonist. So, <laughs> oh well. <laughs> I think that you're right. But that being said, I think he did an excellent job with Strat. He did, but he, she al- he also kind of villainized her a little bit. Like, she was the one who kind of put him on that thing involuntarily. Um, I know she was doing it for the good of all, and but there, there is a little bit of, you, you paint her in a certain light when you say that she, she did it without his permission. I don't think that that was done to villainize her. I think that was done to, to show that you know he that you don't have to be a hero to to be in this position and to figure it out and survive i actually was going to argue that strad is the real hero of the story um well i like that idea (laughs) strat at the beginning of the timeline for the story rylan grace is a, a high school science teacher or middle school science it was middle school wasn't it middle school yeah Yeah. middle school but sometimes i'm like i don't think middle schools are learning what he's teaching them but okay (laughs) you would be amazed um yeah so he's a middle school science teacher and um but he has a an academic background where he could have led a particular field of study if he had wanted to um and strat who is appointed by i guess the un nato somebody somebody. all of the heads of the earth (laughs) right the heads of the world power she's appointed uh by them to address this issue with the astrophage which is draining away the energy of the sun and they don't know why it's happening or how it's happening and so she's seeking out different people to learn about this and ryland is one of those people and as we get further into their story she and Ryland seem to become more and more close and Strat has the kind of power where she can like commandeer Chinese destroyers or aircraft carriers she can commandeer Soyuz capsules for launching things into space and she can she has a lot of power but you find out at certain points 
that she expects that at the end of this, you know, for the things that she's done and wielding that power, that she could very likely go to prison. Yeah. yeah uh, and she is accepting of that role. Her argument is, you know, at, at least humanity will survive. And she does make a very good case for selling it to Ryland when when she talks about what's going to happen when the Earth's temperature cools by just 10 degrees. You know, what what is that going to do to the school children that, you know, he, he cares so much about? Right. You know, they're going to live through wars, they're going to live through pestilence, they're going to live through famine, and, and then they're going to die cold and hungry, basically. He doesn't want to go, and the big reveal, well, I'm not going to talk about the big reveal. I like where she says, where Ava says, um, he, he's angry at her, and uh, he tells her to go to hell, and she says, well, hell is coming to us. Mm. I think that really summed it up. Yeah. I love, yeah, her attitude of realistic consequences to what's happening uh, is her motivation to save everybody as much as she can, yeah. She really liked Rylan Grace, too, mm -hmm. uh, to the point where other people thought that they were a couple, I really, was, which she was just horrified I am, by. Right. I am so glad they did not end up together i am too, i would have been so disappointed and I, be like this is I, so I, tired. I do worry that if it's made into a hollywood movie that they will try to force some sort of love interest and i just worry i just think that would ruin the story because it's not about that at all it's about um doing what you can for humanity and so yeah i think it, it has nothing to do with romantic love yeah yeah. Uh, I think it would be very tricky to turn this into a movie. I don't think so. <laughs> like, really? It could be done with The Martian, it could be done with this one. Oh, yeah. But with you're right, Marcel, like, I agree. No romance, no romance. No romance. I think it is Charlotte's Web in space. Ah! <laughs> the spider comes down and writes some human in xenotype webbing. I love it. <laughs> That's wonderful. I think, yeah, I, I think that. it's some kind of... I was thinking it was the Martian and alien, but the alien's not me. And, and it could be a treatise on, <laughs> like, on friendship, just like Charlotte's Web is. I mean, right? Yes, yes. Sacrifice. Can we talk about self sacrifice. You know. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, Can we talk about how good Rocky is? Like, I love him. <laughs> what a well thought out character. Yeah, he was such alien a fun character. Species. He's great. He's my favorite. The yeah. whole time I was like, I swear to God, if anything, if anything happens, happens to him, <laughs> I'm gonna be very upset. Yes. And lo and behold, something does, and I got very upset <laughs> and it got better. But still, I was like, no. <laughs> Did yeah. anyone else shed a tear when, when Ryland and Rocky parted ways because I'll admit I'm a sentimental sap, and I did. I, I actually did shed tears when they parted with me. I thought, is that it? Is, am I not going to read any more about Rocky? And yeah. Yeah, he was. I was not expecting the ending. I like how he would call him. Oh my gosh, there was this one part where, where they're going back and forth, and and Ryland says something about how you you're, you're a space monster you would be considered a space monster he's like that's right i'm a monster and you're a you're a 
flabby human. Now get back to work or something like yes. that. Yes, I love how it's just their camaraderie, their banter. It was the way he kind of kept Ryland uh, going. <laughs> you humans are dumb when you don't sleep. Go sleep. Yes. I watch. Go sleep. <laughs> I love that. I love yeah. that. And I like when he says, you're grumpy, angry, stupid. <laughs> yeah. That was perfect. It was, uh, yeah. the best sum, summation of being human that Rocky just nailed it. Grumpy, yeah. angry, stupid. I thought, yeah, that sums up a lot of humanity. My gosh, <laughs> yeah. wow, in three words right. that, Everybody that just got it. Everybody just needs a nap and a snack. <laughs> exactly, exactly. <laughs> I really like the idea that neither of them were, it's not like, I guess, in typical sci-fi where, oh, we have contact with aliens and then all of a sudden, you know, they are superior. They have superior intellect. All their technology is immediately better by like thousands of years and all of that stuff. I really like there wasn't any of that. The technology was just, different because of the circumstance but it wasn't like oh we had better stuff and they didn't or the other way around i thought it was really cool that it's like well it's not we're, we're not all just human but i mean we're all alive and i think that was really cool to see and i i will say like you know in some ways their engineering was better rocky was far better at mathematical computation than Ryland was, and that's really saying something, but in some ways our science was far better, mm-hmm. um, you know, because they yeah. didn't even have knowledge of, uh, was it radiation poisoning or, or radiation sickness, and so he had to educate him on that, like, because mm-hmm. Rocky I... didn't understand why his crew had died, and that means they don't have internet. <laughs> how, how do they, how do they, do anything without internet that's what i want to know so so yeah and i like the reappearance of the beatles yeah that was fun. Yeah. i i was because rocky has such a melodic spoken language i was i was a little disappointed he didn't say well let me introduce some music to you from and they're the beatles see they could have played the beatles for him so i would have been interested to see a scene where ryland introduced rocky to our music since this like this is what i hear when i hear you talking i hear music <laughs> or something i don't know he would have played sergeant peppers for him and, okay. and rocky would have interpreted it as paul is dead Aww. or number nine. Oh man oh never mind number nine Gee. or maybe you could just play yellow submarine just for the heck of it because it's fun you know I can imagine Rocky getting into Yellow Submarine. But yeah, Mary Elizabeth, I agree with you that that would have been, that would have been great to read something like that in the book. I think just to kind of, there's plenty of humor in the book, but I think to tie it all mm-hmm. together with the Beatles thing, yeah, definitely, right? Yeah. Yeah, totally. Yeah, I, I really like that that's how he talked. It was, I guess, akin to whale songs. I just, the entire fact that he was so, alien like completely unlike anything you would find here i suppose and then on top of that he explains all of it extremely well there's a um i guess a genre of scientific literature 
a fictional scientific literature called speculative evolution or biology. And I think that that was a perfect example of that because every single aspect of Rocky's culture and like his physiology and how he was, was explained relatively well. And I just was like, this is the coolest thing ever. I just, I, he, he sings to talk. It's perfect. I thought it was so cool. I found it really endearing how they watch uh, Rocky's people. They watch each other sleep. Mm-hmm. Uh, granted it is for safety purposes, and survival purposes, but still there was something very endearing about that. They watch each other sleep. And Rocky was insistent that he watched Rylan sleep. And when Rylan finally figured out why, it really it was, I just found that, it, it fascinated me. I thought, wow. And it was very touching also. I mean, the whole physiology, he, he's built sort of like a five five-armed spider with a carapace and they have um, heavy, heavy metals in their in their organs and their bones and and in their muscles, really. And they breathe ammonia, and they need excessively high heat to uh, a high heat environment to survive. And um, they are so different from us that when Ryland tries to help Rocky, in fact, almost kills him. Because we just he just doesn't understand his physiology. Right, right. Um, at the end, you know, we discover, of course, that the that the Tau Amoeba have designed a way to escape, and this leads Ryland to release the Beatles back to Earth and to go back to to help his friend who he knows to be in trouble because he can no longer see his blips on the proto. Petroviscope, and uh, you know he he ends up uh, taking Rocky to Irid, and uh, essentially at the end of the book he is a citizen on Irid, where they have built a dome for him, and apparently a uh, have a three D printer where he can print out uh, different types of food for himself, including. A burger modeled off <laughs> after his own DNA. A me burger. <laughs> what was up with that? That was so Anybody weird. Please. I thought that I thought it was ingenious, but <laughs> so weird. It out. It did. I, yeah. I said it. On on Thursday nights, he makes me meatloaf. <laughs> oh gosh. And even Rocky is just is like, I don't know about you, man. <laughs> so much of it, like if you read The Martian, I read The Martian. I haven't read Artemis, but I read The Martian. So much of The Martian was about his struggle to get food growing there. But if if you read that, then you know that like he talked a lot about poop potatoes because he was growing potatoes in his in his own feces basically right right and and so now we have poop potatoes and knee burgers (laughs) uh, yeah i think that's like the explanation or like that's the most logical way that he could have gone but i did find it a little strange and out of place because you you read this like 
almost at the very end of the book and it's just like what are, what is happening now like i get it but like this is so uh, what <laughs> it was another one of those things that like mary elizabeth pointed out i mean you get the rug pulled out from under you that definitely pulled the rug out from under me when i read that i had to go back and read it and say what he's eating a meat burger are you kidding me <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> but i do like that he's still friends with with rocky this is like years later i think because of how time space relativity work and also his his presence on a higher gravity planet but um I like that he's still teaching <laughs> and it was just ah that's wonderful and, and i think rocky was asking him like will you go home now because they they you're grossing me out dude no I'm just kidding <laughs> I mean they've learned enough to know like that earth is saved and I don't understand how they can deduce that and not make contact in some way since right. they they have right. everything you would need to make contact if you if you you could even like send the Hail Mary out to the midpoint and use it as a relay station maybe between Earth and, and Irid. Mm. To where messages wouldn't take as long to get across um, space time. Exactly. Yeah. So I, I find it interesting that no further contact was made. Yeah. Well, it leaves it ambiguous that maybe more can happen, but it doesn't sound like he wants to, <laughs> to me. <laughs> it sounds uh, like he did have information. Go ahead. Sorry. Oh, no. I was. Uh, it sounds like he's made his home on your route. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I think he does mention how he contemplates it, but that he has friends on Erid. And it's been so many years. I mean, what is he going to go back to? He had no family. Um, the idea of a romance was definitely not going to happen. His students would never recognize him. He's already elderly. By Earth years, he's in his 70s or something like that. Something like that, yeah. And uh, by the time he gets back, it's going to be a world that he doesn't understand or doesn't know anymore. Mm -hmm. So maybe it would be a good idea for him to return. He's got experience with worlds he doesn't understand, though, so it might not be too bad. Good point. Good point. Yeah. I, he did mention that he uh, sent off, I believe he sent off information about Arid and Rocky and stuff like that um, on the Beetle. Uh, the Beatles to Earth. So I think as far as Ryland Grace's story goes, we don't know if they ever communicated, but I don't think it would be, you know, not um, not a thing that happens in the future context of that world. I agree. I don't know why they wouldn't have communicated more information or more immediately, but hey, that's, you know how humans are, so I don't blame them. Yeah, it might be a good idea not to approach humans. Now that yeah. I think about it, <laughs> maybe maybe we're the dangerous aliens. Right, we are the big bad. Sorry, uh, so I, I, I enjoyed the story while I was reading it, and I made my boyfriend read it so that we could talk about it too. Um, <laughs> so, and, so it made me sit down after I was done. Who would I recommend this to? Would I recommend it? And I think I would. I think I would definitely recommend this book. It might have to be somebody who's okay with reading about math and science in, in great detail, or at least 
are okay with it being in the story and they can just kind of ignore it. So yeah, I think this is a good book to recommend to people. You just have to not get fixated on the science as long uh, on the math part, as long as you can understand what he's trying to achieve with yes, it, yes. then, then you'll be okay. And yeah. you can even perform some of these experiments to your, yourself at home with paper clips and a little box that you can drag through the air and, and capture part <laughs> of your own atmosphere. I, I think what he was talking about children's math, that was better. <laughs> I paying attention. <laughs> I still couldn't follow along in any of the math, really. I just, I just sort of read through it like, all right, I've got modes of this because I need to find out what happens next. I could care less how he deduced it, but I'm going to get there. Right. <laughs> I believe you, sir. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Yeah, I agree. I think I would definitely recommend it, but I haven't found anybody that I would be able to recommend it to mm. because of that math and science. Like my sister, I know she would hate that. Uh, my girlfriend, likewise, she would be like, I don't care about what's happening. <laughs> There's too much math. And I'm like, okay, well, that's fair. But it's definitely, it engrossed me for sure. I'm not a huge reader, but that was, I was like hooked immediately. You just, you got to put it in your back pocket and one day you'll get that, that customer who, who says, you know what, I'm trying to get back into reading. I used to really like science fiction. What have you got? Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. That definitely. For be. sure. And I then you'll have a glorious that. moment when you can say, take a look at this. <laughs> I actually did recommend it now on that, um, on that note to a patron who does come in and check out different genres, but he does check out um, some sci-fi books. And it was, I was almost done with Project Hail Mary, and I did recommend it to him. I told him, I, I was very specific about that it gets a little wordy on the explanations for the math. And I said, but if you can get through all of that, the story is, is very worth it. And he said that once he was done with his pile, as we are familiar with for readers, <laughs> that he'd probably give it a, you know, give it a glance. I said, well, you have to commit to it. You can't just glance at it. And yeah. I think this book is definitely a commitment. Um, you can't just get in and expect it to be light reading because it's not. It's funny and it's snarky and it's got ups and downs and twists. And you definitely, I think if you're going to read this, give yourself some time and, and, and leave yourself open to surprises and i would say don't be drinking any hot liquids because you might spill it on yourself oh, <laughs> you <need> something <laughs> where you take a turn and you're like wait a minute i didn't see that coming and you know just as a just as a disclaimer yeah <laughs> i will say i read very few books that that very few things that actually literally make me laugh out loud <laughs> And, you know, this book had at least two parts in it where I just had to put the book down and be like, I had to take a moment to, to compose <laughs> myself because it was just so funny. I know Rylan seems like less of a hero at the end, but to me, that made him more human. Yes. The fact oh, yeah. when, when you find out that it was all coerced, but it is Charlotte's Web in space. Yeah. <laughs> I really, I thought it was, it was very nice. The only thing I wish I could have seen 
or at least I hope to see in the future, was if he happens to write a uh, paralequel, I guess they're called, or a book that happens at the exact same time that this one does, Earthside, I really would have thought it would be interesting to see what was going on while all of this was happening in space. And I suppose the, the aftermath, we know that the Earth is saved, but what that might be a little bit more dour. It might not be something he'd want to write, but I think that that would be interesting to see because I was very curious about that while I was reading everything. And I understand why he didn't. It was following Ryland basically the whole time. So it would have been cool to see, okay, well, now he's gone. Now what do we do? We wait, you know, but we're not just going to sit around uh, on our butts while we wait for him, you know. And so I think that would have been really interesting to see maybe in another one. Yeah. It could happen. Why not? I was interested too. I'm sure we all were probably wondering well, what the heck is going back, you know, going on back on earth. But as Marcel pointed out, you know, just it's following Ryan's story exclusively. And he's representing what's happening on, you know, he's representing humanity and the, the struggle of survival. But yes, definitely, you want to know what is happening back on planet Earth. And you don't know, and it kind of leaves you. I felt that nagging feeling, wondering, what the heck is going on? And you know, like, uh, the Martian had too much swearing, Project Hail Mary had too much math, maybe in the next one he'll, he'll balance it out and have <laughs> elementary math and moderate swearing. <laughs> I, I think we we've got anything everything we need. Does anybody have any final thoughts, or or you feel you guys feel good about this? Yeah, I, I think we've had a really good discussion about this book. We've aired out any problems we had with it, but it but there was much to enjoy. Yeah, absolutely. I just want to say thanks everybody for being here, and thanks to all of you out there for listening. And um, if you want to know what we're reading next, you can check out our SAPL Escape the Earth on Goodreads, and that'll have our list of upcoming uh, books. And if you want to write to us, you can contact us at SAPLEscapetheearth at gmail.com, all smushed together like one word. And uh, join us in the Upcoming episodes, we'll be discussing probably the Wheel of Time series that's uh, premiering on Amazon uh, on November 19th. And next month, our book will be Remote Control by Nettie Okorafor. So thanks for listening. Escape the